Welcome to episode number 32 of The Thermal. I'm your host, Harry Tenkate. In this episode of The Thermal, we hear from a young Ukrainian glider pilot and what's happening to him and his fellow club members as the war rages around them. An unimaginable situation for most of us. In California, glider pilots are exploring new areas of wave and having spectacular flights. Rami Yanitz tells us what it's like to fly over San Francisco. And a young man with ambition, Noah Kleberg, wants to be the youngest person ever to circumnavigate the globe, and he's hoping to do it in a motor glider. That's all on this episode of The Thermal. Under normal circumstances, the members of the Ukrainian Buzova Gliding Club would be starting the 2022 season just about now. Getting the gliders out and shaking off the winter cobwebs, just like most gliding clubs in the Northern Hemisphere. Unfortunately, it looks like there won't be a gliding season this year for the Buzova Gliding Club. The airfield is in the middle of the fighting with Russian forces nearby. Andrei Lovanchuk is a young 24-year-old glider pilot. I've reached him at his home in Zotomer, Ukraine, which is roughly 100 kilometers west of the capital, Kiev. Hello, Andrei. Thanks so much for coming on the show. How are you doing? Uh, yes, hello. Uh, thank you for having me here. Uh, so, first of all, uh, I think that it has turned into a phase where all these awful thing, things that are happening, they have become some kind of routine. So we don't react uh, that much as we did in the beginning, but uh, still there's a lot of uh, pressure, a lot of uh, like stuff on the news and on the media, and it for sure interrupts with normal everyday, everyday life. What's happening around you where you live? Uh, so I'm currently uh, 100 kilometers to the west of Kiev, so uh, more or less far away from the actual uh, hot spot. So it's relatively calm in here, but uh, we have air raid sirens multiple times every day. And yeah, that's for sure some psychological pressure, even mm -hmm. we don't have any warfare uh, right here. And your family? How's your family? Uh, I think we are safe at the moment. Uh, they are coping well. And everyone just does uh, anything they can to like support people at the front and uh, people doing uh, volunteer work, mm -hmm. uh, donations and stuff like this. Now you're 24 years old, you're of military age, have you been called up? Uh, not yet, so we have uh, a queue, like the reserves and people are conscripted uh, when they when the turn comes, so mine mm -hmm. is not yet, but I'm actually, I have settled with this thought and that I be mobilized. Uh -huh. So yeah, I'm just waiting for the turn if it comes to this. 
tell me a bit about your membership of your gliding club. What are the other pilots and members of your club? Are they have they been called into the army? What's happening? Uh, okay, uh, as far as I know, uh, most of them are safe. They evacuated from uh, Kiev area and the nearby uh, cities and villages. Uh, some of them are in the regions of Ukraine right now. Some of them are abroad in Poland, Lithuania, uh, mostly their families. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of our club members are currently serving in the military. So uh, Michael, who has responded to you from our Facebook page, he's currently in the army. Right. So, yeah, that's it. Uh, some people actually, they are not in the army, but in uh, civil uh, formations, armored formations who do some patrols and stuff like that in the cities. It's such a terrible story. I, I can't imagine the people I know from my gliding club going through this. Uh, yes, it is, but uh, since we have this war ongoing for almost eight years, uh, just not in the active phase, I think it was inevitable and many people were prepared for this. Right, right, right. Now, the, your actual gliding club and, and the, the gliders and the airfield, how, have they been spared or what, what's going on there? Uh, it's a tricky question. Uh, so our gliding club, it's located uh, 30 kilometers to the west of Kyiv. And there has been confirmed uh, fights in that area. Uh, some of our club members uh, live there, and a Russian Su-34 has crashed at our airfield, and luckily it didn't damage any of our uh, fleet, any of our hangars, but some other infrastructure had suffered so far. And since it's still a hot spot, so there is no guarantees that Russian troops will retreat uh, through this, uh, like the same village. So mm. for now it's good, but we can't be sure that it will remain this way. Right, right. Well, I, I, you know, in the, in the end, I suppose that the gliders in the airfield are secondary to, you know, people's lives being spared and surviving and getting through this terrible uh, war. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, luckily, uh, d- that night when it crashed, uh, no one was hurt. Uh, even though we have some of our instructors uh, living just like 500 mm-hmm. meters away from the airfield. Now I know this this Russian plane. I mean, still it's a pilot. Uh, did did he eject or something? I, I gather he was shot down by your forces. Uh, we don't know. So there was a lot of uh, like fire that night, and no one like really try to figure this out right 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 and what about you personally are you how are you feeling are you i know there have been some negotiations going on or are you feeling optimistic or pessimistic what's your what's your mindset uh i think that ukrainian army and ukrainian people are holding 
We really appreciate all the support we get from the West, uh, especially Lithuania, Poland, who uh, adopt a lot of our refugees. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, when you fight against the psychopath, you can't be sure that he won't use some nuclear weapon or chemical weapon. So there's some good portion of luck here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And is there anything that the the international gliding community can do? Do you have anything that that you want us to try and do for you for your club for your membership? Uh, yes, we would very much appreciate any kind of humanitarian aid. Uh, and also a lot of clubs have already offered the help. For instance, uh, some clubs uh, from Switzerland has offered our uh, juniors to join them in the upcoming season to like continue flying, continue their practice. Mm -hmm. So we are very much thankful for this. Tell, tell me a little bit about your own flying. What what do you fly and how long have you been gliding? Uh, I have started gliding in 2019. Uh, it was my first season. Uh, we are flying mostly Czechoslovakian Blanics. And uh, so th this is our initial training is conducted. Yeah. Very familiar gliders. with those gliders, yeah. Uh, yep. And uh, for further, uh, like, cross-country and competition flying, we have Yantars of different uh, Right. It's mostly uh, Yantar 2 and Yantar 3. Well, you're, ta you're talking my language. Me, I, uh, I have a Yantar 2, so it's a, it's a so solid glider. Uh, yeah, cool. Uh, so as for me, I have something like 200 hours. Uh, and I've been flying for three years already and took part in a few competitions. And we actually have a, a growing number of people interested in uh, competition flying. Mm -hmm. So when I come to the club, it was the dynamics were already positive so uh each year more and more people joined and more and more people uh, did their first solo and continued uh, but for the last couple of years we have uh, a really great number of uh, pilots uh, who are is interested in motivated in actual competition flying and we were going to settle a very um uh, for for Ukrainian scale, it it was going to be a very uh, big competition with a large number of participants of around twenty. And the war but has unfortunately, basically, yeah. yep, it ruined our plans. Yes, and it hasn't just ruined your plans, but unfortunately, lots of people are dying. Andre is there. I sure I sure hope you get back into the to the cockpit soon. I hope this this terrible war ends. Uh, soon because it it's it's so terrible we feel so helpless in the rest of the world watching this whole thing uh proceed 
Do you have a message for the glider pilots around the world who are listening right now to us? You know, it's always very hard to give a message on behalf of uh, 40 million people. Uh, but I really would like for everyone to do what they can to raise awareness and uh, let other people know the actual state of the things, the truth, uh, what's happening here, what's the reason, uh, what terrible crimes Russian army does on our land, and not fall uh, into their propaganda. Wow. Andre, Godspeed God and stay safe. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, once again, thanks for uh, providing a platform and raising awareness to this issue. We will talk again. I'll be in touch uh, in, in the near future to see how you're doing. So let's stay in touch and uh, again, stay safe. Yeah, thank you very much. Okay, Andre, take care. Bye-bye. Yeah, thanks. Andre Lovenchuk spoke to me from Zotomir, Ukraine. Andre is a member of the Basova Gliding Club. What do most of the record-breaking pilots you hear on the thermal have in common? Almost all of them use SkySight, the fabulous weather app designed with glider pilots in mind. If you want to learn more about how this weather app works, listen to SkySight's founder, Matthew Scudder, on episode number seven. For listeners of the thermal who are interested in trying out SkySight to maximize their cross-country flying, or just figure out if it's worth the drive to the club, use the voucher promo code THERMAL in capital letters, and you'll get a 14-day free trial. Twenty twenty one was an amazing gliding year for Californian pilot Rami Yanitz. He flew sixty one cross country flights totaling just over thirty nine thousand kilometers. Many of the flights took advantage of the mountain wave conditions that exist along the lesser known coastal ranges of California. On one flight, Rami went right over San Francisco and had a bird's eye view of all the famous landmarks, including the Golden Gate Bridge. I've reached Rami at his home in San Ramon, California. Now, I've been watching some of these uh, remarkable flights that you put up on online and post post about, and I was particularly impressed with your flight over San Francisco, where you could see the Golden Gate Bridge and everything. What was it like looking down on the city? Well, it's beautiful. Uh, it's been, uh, it actually wasn't my first flight over San Francisco. It's probably my, uh, probably my third, I think, over the years, or fourth, uh, mm -hmm. some of them mostly in wave, uh, but they also had uh, flights pretty close by in thermals. And uh, it's always spectacular. It's, uh, when I fly that route, it's mostly about about being a scenic flight and not necessarily about the distance. So it's uh, it's beautiful. And especially in North Wind Wave where the air is crispy clear, it's just, uh, it's just spectacular. Now, you're at a height where you're above... The, you can actually fly over San Francisco International Airport or close to it, right? Well, that's the first time I actually flown that close to the airport, uh, or pretty much right over it. I was right over SFO. I've been over San Francisco before, but not right over SFO. Uh, yes, the the, the ceiling uh, of the Class Bravo San Francisco is ten thousand, 
obviously right in the middle of of the airspace so um thirty miles in each way, you really have to have the right condition to safely be in the middle without uh any any concern about uh dipping down into class bravo so ten thousand being at eighteen thousand uh, gives pretty pretty good buffer um uh, over over the airspace now you're and you're flying an a s g twenty nine a pure glider right with no sustainer that's correct a pure glider right wow yeah. beautiful beautiful now for for many people California is a part of the world they don't really associate uh with the kind of flying that you're actually doing right now, set up the conditions for me. What it's mostly wave, uh, the smaller mountains, the the coastal mountains. Set it up for me in a way that pilots around the world will understand. Well, uh, so California, you probably can divide it as far as the coastal ranges and uh, eastern California, which is basically the Great Basin, the Sierras. Which I don't, I probably don't need to talk much about it since. Everybody heard about uh, both the thermal and the wave conditions on the eastern side of California. Right. The coastal right. ranges uh, in the past were really not known that much for cross country, um, eh, but um, nowadays we're doing um, lots of flying, a lot of cross country flying year round, and that's the nice thing about this area is you can really fly year round. The, the storing season here never really ends. Um, it's um, it's it's great thermal conver- and convergence condition during uh, during springtime um, and fall as well as some during the summer. Uh, although in the summer we focus more in the mountains, uh, in the Sierras, in the Great Basin. But uh, and in the winter it's uh, occasionally nice postfrontal as well. But wave is uh, um, happening here. Um, Pretty often uh, through the winter, at least one to two good wave days on average per month through the winter um, and uh, over the coastal range. Now, you alluded to this earlier. What what has changed from, a, I suppose, a technological point of view, whether it's uh, weather forecasting? What has changed to allow these flights to now happen? Because I imagine these weather conditions have been the same for decades or forever. They've probably been forever. Uh, in, we know, uh, I keep hearing more and more stories from the past before flights were documented, except record flights, but most flights were not documented. There wasn't any OLC or any other, you know, online or internet. So you only hear stories from pilots who uh, um, still around to share the stories. And there were spectacular flights in the 60s, 70s. Um, the wave flights over San Francisco. I'm not the first one. There's been Carl Hale actually wrote an article which I discovered uh, and inspired me a lot about uh, a decade ago about wave flights over the Golden Gate Bridge. They were just not famous. They were just not viral. Mm-hmm. like uh, any Right any, before social any, media. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So we do hear, here and there, we keep hearing new stories like, wow, I never, you know, never knew that something like this was done before. So I don't think I'm pioneering anything, but there seems to have been a lull of about a couple of decades in the 80s and, uh, and 90s where uh, there wasn't weren't really uh, much flying going on the Bay Area. It was uh, um, mostly training flights. When and when I started, when I switched over from hang gliding to sailplanes in the, in the late 90s, um, I. Uh, 
I was surprised actually that there wasn't many, many storing flights going on. Right. Uh, or long course country. Storing flights were going, but not long course country, no wave flights at all, uh, barely. So uh, that was one of my goals is to see what actually can be done. Um, so I started at the late 90s um, when I purchased my first glider, an LS4. Mm-hmm. And, you know, soon others joined. Uh, and uh, we uh, start exploring more and more, and we find out that the coastal ranges all the way from the Oregon border to Southern California, they're spectacular for hmm. soaring um, convergence and waves. So it's, um, um, and we've been exploring ever since. So. Now, how do modern weather... Thanks to, thanks to the, I was going to add, thanks to the social media and all that, and the internet, more and more now people hear about it and realize the potential uh, and, and more people actually trying things right. than in the past. How are weather apps like SkySight helping? I imagine it makes a tremendous difference. Significant, yeah, huge difference. It started uh, it was the blip map uh, way before SkySight and Rust and the early, pretty much about the time I started storing seriously. That's when Dr. Jack introduced the first uh, revolutionary soaring uh, forecast tool, which is BleepMap, which which made a huge difference. I mean, uh, I I I mean, it probably I can't imagine uh, you know able to do all this without those tools. Um, be able to because it's all about you know you only have that many days you can actually fly, especially when you're working, uh, and um, uh, you you really need to be able to pick the right days try things and know what you can try in those, mm-hmm. those particular days. And before, we didn't really have just a few numbers and some numerical models, and we give you an idea, okay, maybe a good day, but you couldn't really plan much a flight based on that. that much. So thanks to those tools, um, it, it, it made, to me personally, it made a huge difference. I'm able to, to pretty much have 90% success versus prediction to what I able to achieve uh, using those tools. So huh. that's uh, much better than a little better than a, a flip of a coin, which we had before that those tools were introduced. Well, so, I think pilots all around the world are enjoying the benefits of some of these weather apps. I know even in the area that I fly, we're being a- able to forecast convergence lines that we couldn't in the past. So it's making a big difference. That's right. Yeah. So I'm using all three. The, my favorite tools are the bleep map, the gold old bleep map, the non bleep map, the the RAS, and the and SkySight, of course. And mm-hmm. specifically for wave, uh, it's mostly uh, a RAS and SkySight, which have the resolution to actually give a really good, um, pretty good, accurate uh, for, wave forecast. Okay. Now I understand that you and some other pilots in that area are actually trying to map some of the, the places of more consistent wave so that you know you can go to a particular area based on the conditions and you're you're plotting this out. Is that right? Yes, and you're referring to Kempton Izuno. So uh we um it's it's um um Kempton is is really instrumental in in, in the in those wave flies. Um no one actually understand I think <laughs> Uh, weather forecast, especially long-term weather forecast, as as Kempton does, I, I'm not getting even close to his level of understanding. <laughs> I'm usually focusing a few days before on the, on the pretty colors on the bleep maps and the rust and all this and the, and the sky site and 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 do a plan. He he get the whole picture uh, way in advance, 
well, way before looking at those, you know, old-fashioned uh, uh, weather charts and, and then only people can really understand and okay. make forecasts out of it. That's the kind so of gliding friend you want to have. Up. Exactly, yes. Absolutely. So it's mostly really me and him, uh, the one we're exploring the waves. Uh, there's other pilots who are flying waves. Uh, but as far as exploration goes, um, uh, it's, it's mostly Kempton myself. Um, he he's unfortunately not able to not as flexible as I am, so he's not able to fly as much as I can, and he missed some of the best days that he clearly forecasted, and I took advantage of them, and he unfortunately couldn't fly on those days. Right. So I get to fly more than him, uh, and and also he only flies from Williams. I'm flying from other places, mainly Byron, where I'm fly away from. Sometimes from Hollister, so I I explored more areas than uh, he was able to get to, uh, but he's instrumental in all this, uh, and especially in encouraging me to actually go for it and and uh, discussing, you know, what the, uh, you know, what, what kind of uh, flight uh, plan we can do, or what's the, what's the task we can do uh, based on the forecast and. Um, He's always the optimistic one, and I'm the more pessimistic one. Well, that's a beautiful <laughs> and, uh, relationship, then, isn't it? A few times, uh, almost. Yes, absolutely. It's uh, it's a great relationship, and uh, he said me a few times from talking myself out of flying. So <laughs> when I thought it's not, it's actually the focus trending down. He said, "Yeah, it's trending down, but you can still do a thousand k." Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of talks and uh, before flights, and uh, so yeah, it's. Uh, um, instrumental. You know, it's it's kind of exciting listening to And we do you. map, as you mentioned, so we do map places. Right. Right, so that we, pe- people... We do map actually places, yeah. Which, which is very cool, which means that other people who want to start doing, doing this sort of stuff in your area will know where to go. Exactly. We try to uh, help others by putting those places on the database as waypoints. Uh, and uh, with uh, uh, Kempton recent articles, also two-part article on the Story Magazine, mm-hmm. um, for others to know, um, you know, to give it a try, and hopefully more will follow. Um, but know, so far, it's mostly myself on him. You know, it's pretty exciting listening to you talk about this because, you know, 2022, 2021, you... you you kind of think most of the aerial exploration things have been done around the world. You know, we've been flying for well over a hundred years, but it's exciting listening to you talk about exploring new possibilities in, in areas of coastal ranges that people have people haven't gone to. I mean, you're you're still an aerial explorer. It's pretty cool. Yeah, especially as far as wave uh, flight goes uh, in in the coastal ranges, the Sierra has been well explored for decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing new for me to find there, and that's probably one of the reasons why I'm not drawn so much into flying the Sierra waves. I've done this in the early years, uh, but I'm, uh, I haven't done it for at least 10, 10 years since there's so much more to explore and discover, uh, and it's so different also mm-hmm. in the coastal wave that uh, that really no, you know, that, like I said, we only find few uh, undocumented flights from the past, but. Uh, um, not, not that much was explored. So, so yeah, there's still a lot to explore. This year, we, we made a lot of uh, progress in that area as far as how how far um, how much more area we covered in our explorations. 
Now, you've packed in a lot of hours. You get a lot of flying in. Is there a particular flight that's that's really memorable for you? It's a tough one. I was actually going over my uh, last year flight, and I uh, I was just actually overwhelmed realizing that how much actually that year was uh, spectacular for me. It's, it's, I, I just simply cannot pinpoint a single one. There was just too many. <laughs> Uh, so I'm, I'm lucky to really have uh, uh, just uh, a lot of memorable flights and uh, most of them are wave, uh, but not all of them. It's just thermals as well. So mm -hmm. it, it will be very difficult for me to single one out of the other. Um, so it's, um, it's this year in particular, I had um, um, a lot of great, um, very interesting flights and well, very satisfactory flights. I, I know when I saw those pictures of San Francisco from that height in a glider, I knew I had to speak to you because I was very impressed with, uh, with those shots and the scenery that you had. Yes, that flight was uh, especially uh, spectacular. Since it was, although it was, like I said, not the first time I was over San Francisco, the city of San Francisco and the Golden Gate, but it was the first time uh, in the previous time I just kind of flew there and back from the east. This time I flew along the peninsula, along the whole, basically the whole length of the Bay Area, uh, Silicon Valley Peninsula. So it was a route which uh, I never was able to do before. I actually never thought it would be possible <laughs> because uh, we're flying really two very different wave systems. In, in usually to San Francisco, you can only go in north wind wave, which is Postfrontal, it's actually more like offshore wind. It's dry. Uh, there's no clouds, and but it's very spotty. You don't have um, uh, a, a line to follow. Mm -hmm. uh, that particular day was very unusual. It was a prefrontal, which usually provide lines of wave, but it's very limited due to moisture. And and further, I'm usually launching from Byron those conditions. And I'm limited to go north and south from Byron, but not really much further west because of where that's where the moisture coming from. You get closer to the ocean, you can basically completely undercast and overcast, and, right. and you just cannot um, fly there any further. That particular day of forecast was unusually dry. It means it was hardly any cloud, which is very rare. And that's when I thought, wait a minute, maybe I actually <laughs> can try something different. And... Um, I was really never expected I'd be able to, to do that as much as I did. I was like, I'm going to give it a try, see how far it can progress along the peninsula. But I never thought I'd be able to fly all the way to San Francisco. And the funny thing is, by the time I got there, I was already overwhelmed, so overwhelmed with the achievement. I start turning back, and then I thought to myself, wait a minute, why turning back? This is actually going to be now quarterly headwind. It's going to be more of a struggle, higher risk to lose the wave and lose altitude. I can actually continue north and then fly, fly back, <laughs> uh, and, you know, go around and maybe end up going all the way to Williams and flying back. So this kind of thing, when you reach the point where you fly beyond what you're planning for, you know, you're like, okay, now what? So, uh, so I, yeah, I, that was uh, one of the days which was more than expected. When, when you talk about it, I can Not really more. see the, the smile on your face and the joy in your voice about those flights. It's, it, it really sounds spectacular. Now, but what are your goals for 2022? Any, any particular flights in mind? Uh, it's not particular flights per se. It's just continuing exploring, continuing trying things, continuing uh, hopefully 
that's actually one of my concerns is like when I looked at back 2021 is like you know what's left to do you know uh-huh. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's all going to be downhill from here right did I did I reach the top as far as how much more I can uh, I can do uh, but you know, since I didn't the 2020, I didn't expect that 2021 will be like that. So who knows? But my goal is to continuing exploring, taking every opportunity I can to explore the the, the forecast as as much as possible uh, and try different things. And um, uh, even if I'm trying the same things, just maybe to be a little longer. We haven't done yet. I was pretty close to a thousand k flight from uh, in wave in the Bay Area. Um, it wasn't really my goal, the number per se, just to make a long flight. So maybe now, since I got so close to a thousand, maybe I'll try next time to actually do a thousand k in the Bay Area in wave. That would be nice. Um, but I don't really set up hard goals. I don't really fly tasks. I rarely ever put tasks actually on my flight computer. My goal is always to max out when I what I can get from the weather. So it's, uh, we'll see what uh, what the weather will bring. Well, you've had some absolutely spectacular flights, and I, I'm looking forward to following you on the uh, the OLC as the season progresses. That, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to chat with us and uh, and safe flying. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Rami Yanet spoke to me from San Ramon, California. If you look on the OLC, you can see some of his remarkable flights. I'll post some links on the Thermals Facebook page. The Thermal Podcast is proud to support the Made in Canada automated task scoring platform, Proving Grounds. Developed by a team from the QNIM Gliding Club in Alberta, it's designed to safely turn novice glider pilots into true cross-country soaring pilots. And it really works. Proving Grounds has proven hugely successful and is now in use in Canada, Europe, the United States, and New Zealand. Check out episode number 15 of The Thermal, where I interviewed co-founder Patrick McMahon. For more information, go to their website, which is SoaringTasks.com. That's SoaringTasks.com. Noah Kleberg is a young 16-year-old German glider pilot with an ambitious goal. He's planning on becoming the youngest person to circumnavigate the world in a single-engine aircraft, in this case, a STEMI S6 motor glider. I've reached Noah at his home in Moorfelden Waldorf, which is very close to Frankfurt International Airport. Hello, Noah. Now, you, you certainly dream big. Where, where are you now when it comes to planning this flight? Uh, currently, we have almost completed planning. We have, uh, me and my team have finished the routing a few days ago, more about a week now. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, we faced a lot of difficulties because definitely of the current situation with Russia. Yeah, uh, that took a lot of planning from us. We had a route that would went would go completely through Russia. We completely scrapped that as we saw the ongoing war and uh now choose a different route over the philippines right now th- this is the real deal i mean you've gone from talking and thinking about this to actually putting a team together i mean you're you're deadly serious about this right yeah i'm deadly serious it's uh my dream mm-hmm. so and, uh yeah why did you come up with this idea i mean it, it's been done before by older people what do you think just last year a 19-year-old woman 
uh, circumnavigated the world as well. Do, is it that you just want to break the record and be the youngest person? A, I assume a 16-year-old? Yes, a 16-year-old it would be, but no, it is not about the record. It's actually about just the experience of doing something like that at such a young age, just meeting so many different people, visiting all these amazing countries and actually the thing that is possible at this young age that's just so fantastic and i want to do that i have next year uh, in germany the school system allows us to have like one kind of relaxed year and um i want i want to use that to do this amazing journey now, t tell me a bit about your flying experience now, you're you're a licensed glider pilot i gather right yes no, wait, not not directly. Actually, I am still missing one exercise. Uh, the license would be in my hands in a, about a month or so. Okay, I gather. Yeah. So, so how many hours? How many flights do you have? Talk to me about your flying experience. Uh, currently, I have about just about two hundred flights and sixty hours in the air. Total distance flown of around four thousand kilometers in. Uh, uh, in the ASK-21, ASK-13, LS-4, and uh, ASK-23. Hmm. Now, you're, uh, obviously a good, a good gliding. you're obviously a good pilot because, I mean, I understand your instructors and people at your gliding club, they're all behind you with this project. Yes, uh, I already talked about, of course, the first people I talked about were people at my club, mm -hmm. and uh, my club supports me in this. My flight instructors helped me out with, with the planning partially. What was like when it came to regulations, I contacted one of my instructors. Instructors uses a air traffic controller here in Germany. I contacted him about that. All my other flight instructors, they all helped me out with regulations like what license do I need, what challenges will I have to face, and what other licenses might be helpful just for the trip. Now, I understand you're planning to do this in a STEMA S6 motor glider. Is, are you borrowing it from somebody? No, it would actually be bought. The problem is borrowing a plane is not possible for motor gliders. There is not a market for that, so the only option that we had is uh, that I have is buying actually an aircraft. We talked with a gliding club from uh, Morsum in Denmark, and they are currently selling a semi S6 glider, and plan is to acquire that plane and get funding from my club, mm -hmm. and uh, not directly funding like buying the plane for me, and then the glider would be sold over to my club. Uh that's a significant price tag, even on a used STEMI S6. How far are you along on fundraising? Fundraising uh, just started, like we at first had to do the routing and find the plane that would actually fit. So funding just started about two weeks ago. And to now we have about thirty to 50,000 uh, gathered on the project. The required amount is uh, 200,000 euros. And you've already got... 30 plus thousand euros yes 30 is the amount that i can say is safe and uh, we have already got options for 50. well that's fantastic and uh, if people want to donate to this cause they just go to your website i guess noah around the world exactly they can just go to noaharoundtheworld.com mm -hmm. and uh, just write me a message and so i haven't gone over to fundraising 
I, currently, right now, I'm writing to the big firms. Like uh, the, my biggest sponsor is a logistic logistic firm here from Germany that wants to support the project, and I would put their logo on my aircraft and uh, display their logo all around the world and that's what i find so interesting and they gave me funding for that have have you traveled much outside of germany i mean have you been to asia or north america yes i've already my mom is a stewardess at lufthansa and my grandfather is an old lufthansa pilot so i've traveled a lot with both of them and my father of course well i've visited countries like America, Canada, Colombia, Singapore, and uh, not Singapore, Hong Kong, Philippines. Okay, um, okay, that's great because the, the reason I'm asking is, I mean, most 16-year-olds haven't really traveled, and I couldn't imagine not having traveled and then getting in a plane and flying around the world. It would be a bit of a culture shock. <laughs> that it would definitely be a culture a culture shock, but I think I'm. It's going to be a culture shock anyway. I mean, mm. there are going to be so many different places, but uh, I think it's not going to be that bad. Now, th this Steme motor glider, uh, have you flown one already? Yes, I have not the S6 in particular, but I've got the chance to fly in semi S10 glider uh, at our neighboring airport. Okay. Now, th the plan would be not to really glide, I assume, but just to literally use the engine for the entire trip. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Hmm. Wow. Now, what do your parents think of this project? Well, when I first got the idea, like, really, that is, so, of course, already two years ago, and I just proposed that to my parents, and I was like, oh, no, that's way too crazy. But then I just found out in August that uh, Zara Rutherford, the 9 pilot, was doing that, and I was like, okay, now it's really time. If it's my dream, I'm going to put my mind to it, put my mind to it. We researched a lot of things by myself, went up to my parents, and they, of course, are shocked about it. They were like, okay, that is really dangerous, but uh, they support they support me in my dream. Hmm. Now, no, this is a daunting project for any pilot to fly single-engine aircraft around the world, whether you're a you know, a test pilot with thousands of hours, uh, it's still daunting. Now, it is full of risk and potential danger. Have you carefully thought about that? I mean, have you really thought about it? Yes, of course, there's always a problem of an engine failure that can occur any time. I mean, I'm flying long distances over oceans. I mean, definitely in the Philippines, and I think the longest stretch is going to be from uh, Greenland, Canada, with around 450 kilometers. Yes, and, and that's, and that's an a dangerous stretch. Right yeah, dangerous stretch. Not much yeah. chance to outland there. No, not really. The water is my only option. Yeah, yeah. And uh, rescue is limited in that area as well, particularly in, particular in that area. And I've, of course, thought about what is what's going to happen when I've looked at various safety equipments that can be acquired for this trip. Uh, I'm definitely going to travel with the parachute on me. I mean, I'm used that mm -hmm. anyways from from gliding and uh, i'm gonna have a life raft with me and all emergency equipment if something goes wrong that it doesn't go horribly wrong sure and and a water survival suit in case you have to ditch exactly well uh when do you uh when are you hoping to take off when is this uh in theory going to start 
of course, it always depends on how fast I'm going to get the rest of the funding. It's hard to get that. And um, with all the experience, I want to have enough experience before I go on the trip. I want to really know my aircraft in any sort of way. I'm going to travel to the semi-production plant here in Germany, look at the aircraft and how it's going to be manufactured. I'm going to like dismantle the plant, put it back together. And I think I can do that all before... Uh, August, September this year. So by the fall, you're hoping to take off and start this? Yes. Wow, that's amazing. Well, uh, if you come to Ontario, uh, I know a couple of gliding clubs that would gladly host you. So uh, stay in touch. Uh, good luck with the fundraising. And, uh, you know, let, let me know how things are going and we'll talk again at some point. I will definitely make, uh, let you know how it's going. And uh, thank you for offering some space in Ontario. Okay. Noah, take care. Happy flying and safe flying. See you too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Noah Kleberg spoke to me from Moorfeld and Waldorf, Germany. If you want to follow Noah and contribute to his adventure, go to noaharoundtheworld.com. That's noaharoundtheworld.com. <laughs> That's it for episode number 32 of The Thermal. I will be back again early May with another show. In the meantime, I'll be paying careful attention to the situation in Ukraine and hoping that our gliding friends there stay safe. Find a humanitarian organization of your choice and send them some cash. If we all send the equivalent of an Aeroto, it will go a long way. Thanks for all the positive feedback. Please put the word out to your gliding friends and get them to subscribe via their favorite podcast provider. I can be reached at the Thermal Podcast, all one word at gmail.com. That's the Thermal Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for centering the Thermal Podcast. See you next time. I'm Harry Tenkate. Fly safe. <laughs> <laughs>